Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Today's readings from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. Blessed are those whose whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears from God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Selah. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Hi, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Fabienne. People here call me Fabs. You can call me whatever you would like. As you can imagine in my life, I've been called all sorts of things with a name like Fabian. Um, but I'm so glad you guys are here today for this conversation on this holiday weekend. I know there's a lot of places you could be. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about this today, I think, because as we've been going through Psalms, in each kind of prayer and song that we've looked at, we've noticed how God is kind of pulling out of us through these Psalms, these emotions that sometimes we're resistant to or that make us uncomfortable. The Psalms come into those places where we have these weird feelings and they wrap words around them and they pull them out of us and they help us take them into the presence of God. And today's emotion is longing. This Psalm is trying to pull out of us this longing for the presence, for the person of of God. And for me, this is like, I think very, very fresh, very personal this morning. I feel like um, this is a conversation that God has been trying to have with me for a long time, and he's using me teaching it to you all to have the conversation a little more forcefully with me. So it's been really sweet, and it, it makes me excited to talk about it. Um, longing is a weird emotion. It's a little bit different from when we think of desire or want. It's different in a couple of ways. First of all, longing is, I think we have a de- definition, it, it's an intense desire. So it's different from desire in that it's, it's really intense it's this achy, bittersweet sensation. It's, it's, it's very full. It moves you to take action. You're uncomfortable with it. You have to do something with it. And it's also different from desire in that it's, it's got a gap between you and the thing you desire. So I might desire water, but I'm not going to long for it because I can just walk over there and get it, right? But longing is when there's some space between you and the thing you want. You have this intense desire for something that is unattainable or just out of reach or maybe even sometimes unknown, you know, you have this like achy, longy feeling for something you don't even know. Uh, the Germans actually have a word for this. Does anyone in here speak German? Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, also, if you did speak German, I was going to have you pronounce the word. But this is the German word. I'm going to pronounce it. Zenzucht. Anyone want to correct my pronunciation? 
Great. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. Yeah, Zenzukt, and it's this inconsolable yearning for something we can't define clearly. A strong craving for a place familiar but far and non-earthly, which one thinks of as their home. I love that they have a whole word for this human sensation that we have of longing for something that we, we're not even really sure what it is. It's like this yearning, this angst within us that, that's for something that, that's maybe even unknown. I have a friend who works in children's publishing, and whenever she gets a, a manuscript or an idea on her desk, she says the one criteria she's looking for and whether or not she's going to publish that children's book is if it has enough longing, if there's longing in the story. She would argue, and she's not alone in this throughout literary history, that longing is the thing that makes us love stories, that makes us connect with them. When you're thinking about that movie that always makes you cry, I bet there's some element of longing in it, some, some part of it that's yearning. And I don't like to watch movies that make me cry, but I know there are people who love, like, parenthood or this is us because they love to enter into someone else's longing and kind of feel that like angsty achy feeling I don't like I don't like it so much with movies but I do do that with music in fact when we were picking today's question I was we were talking about in staff meeting and I was like I think today's welcome question is going to be like what's the song you put on when you want to feel that like longing achy yearny feeling like the angsty feeling and everyone in staff meeting was like we have no idea what you're talking about. I think Brian was like, do you mean a song that like brings you comfort? I'm like, no, I actually mean the opposite of that. A song that like pulls out of you this longing. And I think Jim was like, that's that. It's not a good, <laughs> it's not a good welcome question. Um, but I, I have a playlist on Spotify that's called Rainy Day Dawson's Playlist. Dawson's gets its name from Dawson's Creek, of course. And it's not songs from Dawson's Creek, though. It's just songs that pull out that, like, longing, yearning, aching sensation. I think we're comfortable with longing at a distance when it belongs to someone else or when we can hit stop at the end of the movie or pause it or turn the music off. But it's a little bit more uncomfortable, a little more complicated when it's our longing, right? That can feel a little bit, a little bit more uncomfortable to us. Um, and I was thinking about this. I was like, I think in general, like, our longing muscle, the part of our soul that's like made for longing, is, is just atrophied a little bit, especially in America. That's in part of us. We've like atrophied that muscle. That happens to a muscle, like it gets atrophied, it doesn't work any, anymore, not the way it's supposed to, when you do one of two things. Either you neglect it or you misuse it. That's what causes a muscle to atrophy. You neglect it or you misuse it. And I think the same thing has happened with us and longing. We've neglected it. Right? Maybe we just don't like the feeling of wanting something when we don't know what it is or if we're going to get it or how to get it. We're uncomfortable with that. Or maybe, and more likely, I think, we're just a culture of instant gratification. Like, when was the last time you actually had to long for something that you couldn't go get right then and there, that you, that you actually had to sit in that achiness, that wanting, that space where something is just out of reach? In our culture of instant gratification, we've neglected cultivating this sense of longing, and we've misused it. Some of us, like, we don't like to use that muscle. It's atrophied for us now because we've seen ourselves previously misuse it. We've seen ourselves. I've seen this. I've longed for something. I've followed that longing. It's driven me to take action. And that action has sabotaged my life. It's brought me to really unhealthy, unsafe places. And so I am resistant now to that longing. I don't, I don't like it. I've even heard in church sometimes people talk about longing like it's dangerous, like work so hard at being content in Jesus, you work so hard to feel gratitude for your life, and if you wake that sleeping dragon of longing, if it comes alive inside of you, what is gonna happen? 
Are you gonna be ungrateful? Are you gonna be discontent with Jesus? Are you gonna always be wanting more? We, we seem like to be trying to train the church, want less, like be a little bit more satisfied. But I think our psalm today is trying to pull out of us longing because longing serves this really adaptive, like all of our emotions, they can be misused, but they're adaptive, they're helping us survive, they're, they're performing a function for us. And longing, it is this sensation that makes you uncomfortable, it is this sensation that makes you dissatisfied, discontent with the status quo, and it does that because it's serving the purpose of propelling you, of moving you towards the object you long for. It's designed to make you unhappy or uncomfortable with the status quo so that it pushes you towards what you truly want. Sometimes I, I work with clients and, and they are unsatisfied, they're dissatisfied with the unhealthy relational patterns they have in their life. But until they crave, until their longing is so big for healthy relationships, they will never take the action they need to take to make change because it's uncomfortable to make change. Growth is uncomfortable. The journey to where they wanna go is uncomfortable and that longing, if it gets bigger and bigger, if it gets big enough, it will make them reach out for help. It will make them change their patterns. It will make them make changes in their life to move them towards the health that they want. And our psalmist today is trying to cultivate us, cultivate in us this longing for the presence of God, for the person of God. So in verse three, let's, two, verse two I think it is. Yeah, let's start in verse two and kind of look at what this longing looks like. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So let's make some observations about this. What do you notice here about the longing of this psalmist? What, what words are used that I'm saying longing? What words do you see here that I'm getting that from? Yearns, faints. Yeah, how much does he yearn? Yearns so much that even faints. What part of him yearns? Yeah. What other parts are involved in this longing? Heart, flesh. This is like a, a whole body experience, a biological, spiritual experience, right? The psalmist is longing so much that, that their soul feels like it could even faint. And what are they longing for? For what? The living God. And what else? Oh, look, I underlined it for you. The courts of the Lord, right? Our psalmist uses this parallel structure here and uses this term, the courts of the Lord, and then the living God, almost as if they're synonyms. That's the structure set up here, as if these things are the same, as if they're interchangeable, which sounds really weird to us because God is not a place, right? He's a person. And so the living God and the courts of the living God don't feel like the same thing to us, but we have to kind of get our heads around the context a little bit of when this psalm was written and who it was for. See, back in the day, God throughout history has kind of shown up. He's made himself known to people in different ways. So in the beginning, in the, in the Garden of Eden, I really don't understand what it was like, but there's words in there like walking in the cool of the day and listening to the sound of the Father's voice that make it sound like God's presence was with man in the garden. Okay, and then things shifted, right? Things went wrong. The world got a little fractured and broken. And you see throughout Genesis, God appearing to different people in particular times and places. So it's not like he's just appearing to everyone everywhere all the same way. It's like he would interact with some people through angels and some people through a, a burning bush, right? And then when the people get brought out of Egypt, we see this next chapter of God's interaction with the people of God. He makes a way. He makes a, a way for his presence to permanently rest with them. So they always know where to find him, always know where God's going to be. And that place, as they're traveling through the wilderness, is this thing they call the tabernacle. It's where God was, was pleased to put his presence. 
And then as they get into a more permanent home, they, they put walls around it and they build this thing they call the temple. This is the courts of the living God. It's, it's where the living God lives. They could go to this house and they could experience the presence of the living God. So our psalmist is using those things interchangeably because it's where God is. That's where the psalmist and, and those listening and singing this song would go to meet with God. So when we're, when we're listening to this, we have to remember that these people, this is trying to cultivate this longing in them for, for this presence of God so much that they would make a journey, that they would go into this temple, right? And, and as the psalmist goes through, the psalmist pulls out for us these things that are so precious about the presence of God. Why is the psalmist longing for the presence of God? Three, he gives us three reasons or three passages that talk about why he longs for the presence of God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. This is the first characteristic that our psalmist gives us about the presence of God that explains why there's such a longing to be with this presence of the living God. It's because even the sparrow finds a home. And sparrow, swallow, throughout scripture, this kind of bird is used to like represent, um, I feel so bad for like sparrows, but they're, they're used to represent kind of this insignificant creature, right? They're, they're not beautiful to look at. They're not doing anything like life-changing, world-changing with the world around them. They're this insignificant creature. When scripture speaks about God's interaction with the sparrow, it does so to emphasize for us the notice and the care that he takes with all of his creatures. And in his presence, even the most insignificant creature finds a home, finds a place to rest, finds protection and provision, not just like a nest, but a home. And a home where the sparrow and the swallow can raise her young, where, where she's safe, right? And our psalmist goes on to say in the next verse, Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. They're blessed to be in your presence. Why? Because they are ever praising you. And I know like in church it can feel, especially I think in our culture a little bit like, don't we hear enough about, like is God this narcissist that needs us to constantly be coming and telling him how great he is? Is he that insecure? But what praise really is is just enjoyment. The people who dwell in the house of the Lord, they're blessed because they are enjoying. They're enjoying God. It's like if you think back to like, you know, when you, the last time you had that moment where you're on the cusp of falling in love and you're at dinner with that person that you're just crazy about and you just want to sit there and enjoy them and tell them all the things that you love about them. And that praising of them, it's not something you're doing out of obligation. It's not something you're doing to try to manipulate or win them. It's an overflow of this sensation we have of pleasure, of joy, of enjoyment. That's what's happening for those who are in the presence of the living God. They are enjoying him. And then in verse 10, it tells us that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. It's this like comparison. Like our psalmist is, is trying to tell us, putting these things on a scale for us. So it's like, you know, you've got uh, one day with God, or like for us, one moment with God in the presence of God. And then let's think about the person that you love most in, in the world and a, a day with them. And the psalmist is saying those things, they don't weigh the same. And in fact, put a thousand more days on this side and you still don't, don't come close to how good it feels to be in the presence of God. One moment outweighs a million moments anywhere else, right? And, and, and if you think about your purpose, the thing in life you're, you're moving towards, that role you want that feels so significant, 
being a parent or changing the world, whatever it is, if, if you put the most significant role you could think of and you put it next to the most insignificant thing in the presence of God, like being that sparrow who doesn't serve any purpose but just exists in his presence, that weighs more than the biggest purpose you could have outside of that, outside of the presence of God. Our psalmist is trying to emphasize for us what it feels like in the presence of God so it will cultivate for us this longing. It will move us to take action. Because for the psalmist, as they're writing this song, they're talking to people who who do have to take action to access the presence of God. They do have to go somewhere. They have to go on a journey. See that temple, not everyone lived right next door to that temple. Uh, I think I have a map here of what it looks like and I don't, we don't know exactly when this psalm was written, so this is my attempt at kind of representing where the temple would have been for most of the people when they're hearing this psalm. And let's say they lived at that very tippy-toppy point, very tip point of the blue. They still have to, three times a year, under the law, they're obligated to go to the temple in order to make sacrifices, have feast days, that kind of thing. So they're packing up their belongings. They don't have a plane. They're getting their kids all wrangled up, getting packed for this journey, and they're traveling on foot or donkey or horse or camel or whatever, they're traveling down to this temple three times a year. And our psalmist is is telling us in this psalm, they're not doing that out of obligation. They're not like, oh my gosh, I forgot we have to go visit the temple next week. There's this longing, like they can't wait, like this restlessness, this discontent with life almost until they can get back to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what it says in in, in verse 5. Let's look at that. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. It's talking about a blessing, something that happens in the life of those, not who make this pilgrimage, but those whose heart is set on it, those who long for it, those who ache for it, those, those who don't just look at the destination and think, I want that, but get excited about the journey itself because they're so excited about where they're going. And what is this blessing? It says in the next verse, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion, which is where the temple is, right? As they pass through this valley of Baca, and people kind of disagree on what that means. It's hard to know if it was a real place or just a metaphor, but the common understanding is this this place of of dryness or this place of weeping, this desolate land. Their heart is so set on this pilgrimage that even as they pass through a dry and weary land, their, their experience of longing, what they're going towards, changes what it feels like. It changes what that landscape looks like. There's water coming out of the ground and there's water falling from the sky. They are experiencing this blessing, and instead of them getting weaker and weaker along this journey, they're getting more and more strength as they get closer to the object of their desire. I understand this a little bit because me and my sisters, we love Christmas. We love Christmas. I know a lot of people love Christmas. Christy Rome back there loves Christmas, but we love Christmas, okay? So, like, (laughs) it's really gotten out of control. And I was thinking about it as I was reflecting back on this. I think it's because when we were kids, we were all kind of spread out. Um, My sister was in England, and me and my other sister were here, and my family was all over the world, and we would have the time that we got to be together was Christmas. So there was this anticipation, this longing for it. And even now, we love Christmas so much that we move it back. So instead of celebrating Christmas on the 25th, we save a bunch of presents and gifts and Christmas-type things for the 26th. That's what we used to do. Now it's like the 27th and then the 28th. And we spread it out as long as we can. It's so weird. Why, if you long for something so much, would you push it further away? And it's because we love the pilgrimage. We love the anticipation. The journey itself is filled with such delight. 
that we, that we like to extend it. We like to sit in it longer, knowing we're going to get the thing we long for. It makes the, the journey towards it itself more powerful, more exciting. So that's kind of the wrap-up of, of what's going on here in this psalm. The psalmist is trying to cultivate longing through the singing of this song so that it would be like this propeller that pushes people out of their lives and propels them toward the presence of God. And that that longing, as they long for where they're going, that it would transform the experience of the pilgrimage. That's what our psalmist is trying to do. So what's the deal for us? Our psalmist is writing to a, a people who live in that specific time and place. What, what does it look like for us who don't live there? What is God trying to cultivate in us? I think it's a similar thing. He's, he's trying to cultivate in us this longing for the presence of God that is so forceful this yearning that's so deep that it propels us into the presence of the living God that it enables us to endure discomfort, go further in, keep on going when he feels out of reach or unattainable, keep on pushing, drives us through into his presence. And that that longing would transform our experience of walking through this, this dry and weary land on our pilgrimage, right? So how's that going for you guys? How's it, how's it going for you, like, like, do you feel that longing so deeply that it drives you into the presence of God, that the time with God is not, it's not an obligation, it's not a thing that you have to like try to remember, that, that you wake up longing for his presence, and that longing is so great that it propels you, that it pushes you forward, even if it's uncomfortable, even if he doesn't show up right away, that you'll wait because you long for the presence of the living God. Our, our, our Israelites, right, they would travel, I think it was 81 hours, when I, that's today, like that I Googled the, if you were, you know, on a Google map, you can do how far if you walked. 81 hours was that, was that travel, that trip. Can you imagine making that in ancient Israel? No, thank you, I don't like that. But even today, people who believe the presence of the God, of God dwells in that temple, they still make that pilgrimage, they still make that journey. There's not much left of the temple, but there's one wall, the Western Wall, and there's a sign here that, that stands outside the Western Wall. It says, you're approaching the holy site of the Western Wall where the divine presence always rests. And people, they get uncomfortable. They take journeys from all across the world. They long to come and visit this space. I have some pictures of what it looks like here. It's kind of hard to see, but you see those like white pieces of paper that are tucked in the wall? Those are prayers. People travel to this wall and they write down on pieces of paper what they long for, what they need, the things they need to be cared for, and they try to push them through the wall because they're trying to get as close as they can to the presence of God. As near as they can, they want to get their words, like that little sparrow, into his presence that he'll see, that he'll notice, that he'll care for that need. And people push their heads, you can see it here, push their faces up against the wall. They want to get as close as they can to the presence of the God. They, they want to be in his presence, and the best they can get, the closest they can get is near, because the temple is gone. But even when the temple still stood, the closest that the people of God to get, could get to the presence of God was near. Because in the temple, this description that our psalmist has of, of going to the courts of the living God, they're describing this temple. And inside of the temple, there's a division. There's a place inside the temple where that sacred divine presence rests. It's called the Holy of Holies. And that part, that part is where the full, like can't touch it. It's so bright and big and crazy and wild. That's where the presence of God lives. And, and when you enter the temple, there's a curtain between you and that. And, and you don't get to go in there. In fact, no one goes in there except one time a year, 
a, a great high priest would cross in to offer sacrifices. For the people of God, the longing in this psalm, how excited they're getting, they're getting that excited just to be near the divine, sacred presence of the living God. They just want to be close. But for us, it's different, right? For, for thousands of years, that's the best people could get is near to the presence of God. But then there was a Friday that came along that we call good. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross and he cries out his last and he breathes his last breath and he commits his spirit into the hand of the Father, it says in Matthew that the curtain of the temple was torn into. Can you imagine just standing in the temple? It's just gone. You can see into the Holy of Holies. You could walk right in there. And that's what Hebrews tells us has happened. Right? We now have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is the curtain of his body. We don't live in a time anymore where we can just get close to the presence of God, and we don't live in a time anymore where we have to go to a specific place in Israel to enter into the presence of God. We live in a time where God's presence dwells among us, where, where we are now the temple that he has put his spirit within us. And he says that now what happens is like each one of us who carries his spirit in a unique way, we come into a place together. We're like these stones that together build up the temple. And God looks at that temple and he is pleased to have his divine sacred presence with us. Holy of holies is here where these stones are brought together and the spirit of God shows up and we experience him. But how often do we experience him, right? How often do we come in here and all, this, all the pieces are here, the stones of the temple, you sing the songs, but you don't feel what I'm describing. You don't feel like you're entering into the Holy of Holies. As I was pulling the pictures of the temple for this, it was hard because you have to scroll through a lot of pictures to find ones that look powerful and meaningful because a lot of them have all these tourists like hanging out like thinking about when they're going to get their next hot dog or taking pictures or having fights with their family members. And it struck me that you can have people in this exact same place and some of them are experiencing the divine sacred presence of God. And some of them are not. And it's like the presence of God is here with us. He's here with us, but we need, we still need, just like the Israelites did, we still need this longing to propel us, to take the journey, to take the steps to enter in because he still feels a little bit out of reach. I can't see him. I don't hear him speaking right now. He feels a little bit unattainable, a little bit unknown, and I need that longing to propel me to go further than the text fed on a Sunday singing songs, to propel me to go into his presence, to experience his presence. I've been um, telling some friends for a while, I think that, uh, I don't know how long, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, <laughs> hard to say, but... I've been trying to describe how it feels between me and God these days, and, and the way I've described it is it feels like he's right there, but there's like something between us, like a veil or fog. It's like I can't quite get my hands on him. I can't quite see what he's like. Like, it's a little bit tricky, and preparing for this, I was like, man, there is nothing between me and God. There is no veil. There is no curtain. I can enter the divine, sacred presence of God anytime I want. But that's the kind of the key word. I do want, I do want to experience God. Of course I want to experience God. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, you know what we need to experience God today? I'm driving to Texas. I think, you know what we need to experience God today? I want that. But my longing, that muscle has atrophied. 
So I want, but do I yearn? Does my soul yearn even faint? And because I don't have that longing, because I just have this one, I don't have the thing to propel me further in and deeper. Like if God doesn't show up for me in the first five minutes I've set aside for him, I don't have enough longing to propel me to wait. I'm like, I've got places to go, I've got things to do. He didn't show up, fine. There's a want, I'm happy if he comes. That sounds great. Show up, love it, anytime, awesome. But do I long, am I willing to wait, am I willing to press in, am I willing to take hold of them and say, I'm not gonna let go until you bless me, until you prove this promise true that you're here. I need more from you. I I want more from you. I wanna experience you. I wanna feel your presence. Am I like that? No. I don't have a longing that's deep enough like the Israelites doing their daily lives. It's like they were distracted with this longing for the presence of the living God. It's like I don't have a longing that's big enough to distract me from the presence of the living God. And this psalm is trying to pull that out of us. It's trying to tap into that place inside of you that you've like covered up with like, for me, scrolling TikTok or whatever, eating food, whatever it is that pushes down that like great sleeping dragon of longing. It's trying to tap into that. It's trying to tell you to want more. Don't you want more? I want more. I was thinking about that all week. I want more. I want more when I come in this place. I love all of you. I like getting to see you. It's neat. I like singing songs together. I like how they sound. I like the echo in this room. I want more. I want the stones of the temple to be built together. I want the presence of the living God in this place. And I need that in order to drive me through the discomfort of getting here. I know many of you know this, and if you've talked to me, I probably brought it up within five minutes. But I'm one of those lucky, lucky folks who has long COVID, and not the kind of long COVID that's like lingering tinnitus or loss of taste or smell, the kind that has like totally tipped my life upside down, like changed every part of my life. And I'm new to the land of chronic illness, so some of you I know have been living with that for most of your lives. But to me, it's new, and I'm learning about my body that, like, now when I sit up in bed, it takes three times the amount of energy for my heart to to enable me to do that movement. That's just sitting up. When I stand up, I have to prepare to stand up for, like, 15 minutes before I'm able to do that with my blood pressure regulating. And then I have to get dressed, and then I have to drive to the tax bed, and then I have to do the part that I dread the most, which is the walk from my car to the building in the heat, which makes me feel like I have the flu every single time. And then I get to come and be with you guys, which I love. I love seeing you. I love doing this. But it's not enough for me to endure that discomfort week after week. It's not enough if I'm not going to get to experience the presence of the living God. I want more. I want more and more. And even when he does show up, I want more than that. I want more and more and more and more and more. I am longing for the presence of the living God. And I want a longing so deep that it will propel me through that discomfort. And that it would even tra- trans- like totally transform that experience of getting here on a Sunday, that there would be delight even in that pilgrimage. There would be delight in it because my longing is so deep that it not only propels me into the presence of God, but it transforms the experience of getting there. Right? We are on a pilgrimage. We are on a journey into the presence of God, both in like the micro way, like I'm describing, like on a day-to-day when you're like, you know, I get up, I get my coffee, I'm trying to spend time with God. Where is he? There's this journey in. He's not just right there. You, ha- you have to let go of some of your senses and you have to enter into his presence. You have to turn your phone off sometimes and you have to resist the distraction. You have to enter in. 
You have to make that pilgrimage over and over and over again. And longing is what will drive us to do it. But on a deeper level, we're also like on this, if you zoom out, we're in this story of a pilgrimage. We are people who are traveling through a land that is not our home. A dry, a desolate, a weeping place. We are traveling through it and we are going to the courts of the living God. Even on our best day, even when the Spirit of God shows up and moves in power and might, it does not compare to the experience of God that waits for us. That's when we talk about heaven. That's what we're talking about. The presence of the living God in Revelation, it describes this as, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What does this verse emphasize about heaven? What's the big deal? God with us. I don't need longing to get into his presence. I don't need faith in order to believe he's there. He's, he's with me. I see him. My faith is sight. And, and all this stuff that we think about heaven sometimes, like this magical Disneyland of a place, it's like the reason it's so amazing is God is there. We're not just going to stop crying. He will wipe away every tear. Like God himself, this divine sacred presence that people couldn't even enter into because it was so divine and amazing they would just drop dead. That presence is going to reach down and touch your cheek and wipe away every tear. That is where we're going. That's the pilgrimage we're on. And there is a blessing for those whose hearts are set on this pilgrimage. There's a blessing for those who would, who would feel that zinzukt inside of them and say, I know what that feeling is. I know what I long for. It's unknown, sure. I don't really know what it's going to be like. I don't understand it on any way, but I know that, that it's for this heavenly place, this city where, where God dwells with us, where he himself is with us, his presence. I know what that zinzukt is for. My heart is so set on this journey to get there that, that I put kind of all my eggs in this basket. I put everything on this. This is what I'm banking on. So when life comes along and it offers me a nice place to stop and camp, on that pilgrimage, a nice place, just build a home here. I know you're on this pilgrimage, but here's a nice spot. You can get your Zenzuk met here. You can have, we've got bushels of joy and we've got pleasure that lasts at least 15 minutes, maybe even 15 years. But there's a blessing for those who are like, no, 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 sorry, my heart is set on this pilgrimage. I, I can't camp, I can't stop, I can't build a home along the way. My heart is set on this. Thank you for your bushels of joy and your pleasure for 15 minutes, but in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And my heart is set on that. I can't, I, I won't settle for less than that. There's a blessing for those whose hearts are set on this pilgrimage. And the blessing is that it changes the experience of the pilgrimage, that it changes the journey itself. There are examples of this throughout scripture of people who behave differently, they interact differently, they interact with generosity and kindness and care in the world because their hearts are so set on this better and abiding possession they have in the presence of God. But I'm gonna end actually with a story about me. <laughs> but I've been trying this on, and I'm new to this, but I'm trying it on the last couple of weeks and I've been trying to think through like what, how would this like, if I was set on that presence of the living God, and if my heart was set on this journey to it, how would it create this like anticipation, this like Christmas sensation that me and my sisters have, right? And I've been thinking about this like a couple of weeks ago now, maybe three weeks ago. I was doing, I do this sometimes when I fall asleep, it's kind of like a scan, just noticing my symptoms. I try to just keep track of all the different symptoms so I can update my doctors. And I sometimes I do that emotionally as well. I'm like, what are you feeling, Fabs? Because I can get, 
I can travel a little way from my feelings sometimes. And I noticed a few weeks ago that there was this room in my soul that I guess I will call hope, although that's a way oversimplification of what this room is. I don't really know how to describe it, but like a part of my soul that feels like someone's gone in and they've packed everything into boxes and they've taped them up and they've turned off the lights. And I think that room was like what was driving me, what was moving me forward, like my purpose, like my dreams, like longings, things I long for, right? Like um, different purposes or roles that I've dreamed of having, different relational roles that I've dreamed of having, different jobs I've dreamed of having. And long COVID, thank you, what a buddy, has come in and like packed up all those boxes and been like, I'm sorry, this one's kind of off the table. You can't do this one anymore. You're not gonna be able to do this one either. And systematically, one after another, it's like there's nothing. I don't know what to long for. I don't know what to move towards. I don't know how to get out of bed. <laughs> like, what's going to drive me forward? What's the purpose? And as I was praying for this, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's right. I forgot. I forgot that to live is Christ and die is gain. I forgot that everything in that room that's so good and so beautiful, that all it is is, is a shadow, a reflection scent of a, of a place that I haven't yet been to, that I'm longing to go to, a place where all my purpose is fulfilled, where I feel satisfied, where I have deep relationships, where I am the creature that I was designed to be. And it was like this, like, like wasn't like I believed it all of a sudden, but it was like, oh, I forgot. I forgot that that was an option, that it could be true, that, that all this boxes that I put away, that that, that Jesus can kind of go into that space, that he's still there. The presence of the living God isn't getting packed away into a box. I still have the presence of the living God to look forward to. When I wake up in the morning, I can look forward to, I can long for the presence of the living God. And as I go through these days, I can look forward to, I can long to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. There's purpose there. There's meaning there. There's something to long for there. And it's not, I don't want to, sell you a fairy tale. It hasn't transformed this pilgrimage so that I'm like loving it, but I can feel something happening. I can definitely feel something happening, like an awakened joy and like a, a moving from strength to strength. Like I am getting stronger. I'm, I'm getting more able to move forward as I fix my heart, as I set my heart on that pilgrimage. And that's, I think, all that God wants to do in us today is this song of this psalm that he's singing over us that we would think about what it's like in the presence of God, that we would long more and more to be in the presence of God, that we wouldn't settle for anything along the way that looks like that, that we would demand, that we would beg, that we would plead for more of God, more and more and more, until we're finally in his presence. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.